Philippian song. I love that song. And, you know, uh, growing up in Sunday school, for me, a lot of times we were taught that um, David, we could put ourselves in David's place, standing against the giant. But you know who David is? That's Jesus. He was the one that boldly stepped up against the devil. We were hunkered down, afraid, and cowered down. But the armies of God took courage when David stepped out and did what he did. So we can take courage and come out of that hiding place because Jesus was our champion. He was our champion. And he took the head off Satan. And now we can go forward and be confident that we're following in our champion's footsteps. Praise the Lord. That's a good word. And she's pretty. Not to be carnal about it, but she is pretty. Anyway, it's a blessing to be here. And, uh, you know, over the years, you learn how to uh, assess things in a different way. You learn how to look at things in a different way. I don't look at uh, how flashy a minister is. I don't look at how flamboyant he is, how charismatic he is. A lot of times when a minister's up preaching, I'll watch his wife. Because if she's looking at her watch and looking up at the ceiling, that usually means he's not living it at home. She's taking notes. She's taking notes. Also, I look at their kids. You know, and with Paul and Ginger, I would rather be in relationship with people that are imperfect, but they know they're imperfect. Because you can tell they got great kids. And their kids, kids married great people. Say what you want. That, that means somebody's living. There's, there's no difference between home and the church. At least what you get is real. It might be imperfect, but at least it's real. And I'd, kinda, I'd rather stick with real folk. I've been around plastic folk, and I'd rather stick. We were talking about funny things. A lot of people get super spiritual. They, they don't think you're supposed to laugh at church. I don't know. I spent 14 years in a church. Everybody looked like this, baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> you know, the church I was raised in, our doctrine was sin, fun must be sin. And we're not going to have any sin in our church. And we didn't. <laughs> so I was talking with my brother about funny things, funny stories at church. One of them I was there for. The other thing I wasn't there for. One of them I was in the Assembly God church. And we had a, a hippie dude coming off the street. Uh, Dave and April. I mean, just hippie. Jesus revolution. Hippie. Beard. Long you know, and the dude could crank an acoustic guitar. I mean, he could play that thing and sing. And so Pastor Chris Witt, it wasn't long. He's up leading worship. And I mean, we just went on a run with Dave, Dave Goff, just singing like Don, Don Francisco every Sunday morning. He would, man, he'd bang that guitar. And I was over there thumping bass, you know. And then... Uh, <laughs> One Sunday morning, he gets up, and he gets all weepy and teary-eyed. I just want to thank this church, and I just, y'all just love me unconditionally. He said, you know, I just stopped smoking weed last week. <laughs> the pastor was on the platform. He turned eight shades of red. He was like, 
I fell over laughing. I thought that's the funniest thing. You know, we're going to worship the Most High and be the Most High. Well, come on, y'all. I mean, thank God he's merciful. I know that ain't the way you're supposed to do it, but it is still funny. The other funny story, one of the funniest stories I've heard was this Phoenix First Assembly, this mega church in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, doing a mega Easter production. And they, the cross and the resurrection, three guys, I mean, they actually put them on the cross and bloodied him up and everything. And uh, so this homeless guy <laughs> walked in the back of the church on that Sunday morning of that production. And the production lady grabbed him and said, where have you been? He was just looking for a handout. And she goes, you're late. So he's okay. So she got him in costume and she blooded him up. Next thing he knows, he's on the cross. The guy that was playing Jesus was sick that morning and didn't, he called somebody, but they didn't get the message. And this guy shows up. He looks like that guy. So they hung that dude on the cross. And then at the end, Pastor Tommy Barnett's talking about who wants to get saved. And he's up there. He goes, I do. <laughs> Come on, y'all. That's funny. I don't care what you say. Your pastor, you know, I thought y'all sang this song about the Lord being our protector, you know. And I thought, Pastor Paul Gray, we're in Botswana. We're in the Okavango Delta. It's the fourth largest delta in the world. It is a dangerous place. And I thought, you know, he's being kind because I was the guest speaker and maybe I needed some privacy. So he put me way out on the end in a tent by myself away from everybody. I noticed he put himself closer to the fire. I kind of figured it out after it was over. I had an encounter with a hippo 1130 at night. I don't know if you've ever been deer hunting. And had this happen, I've had this happen about three times, be up in a tree in pitch, pitch dark and feel like something's looking at you. I've done that. And I look down in the shadows and all of a sudden I look in the bush and I see there's a buck standing there looking right at me. I felt him looking at me before I saw him. And right one of those nights when I went to my tent, right before I turned, I felt that. Something's looking at me out in that swamp. So I turned and Shined my light that way and heard a deep grunt. I said, dear Lord, (laughs) I don't know what makes a sound like that. Well, I got in my tent and I could hear that big old thing moving, whatever it was. He's moving. He's going to go way, make a loop around and get uh, get in the lagoon and float down that lagoon right in front of my tent. And I had to wee wee. Had to go. And I fell asleep and woke up, had to go to the bathroom. And what woke me up was him coming out of that water about 20 yards in front of my tent. And then he started making noises. And I cannot confirm which end they were coming out of. I don't know. But I tell you, those noises made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. You're talking about calling on the Lord for your protector. Because, you know, number two killer in Africa is a hippo. Number one is a mosquito. Number two's hippo. You know, your loving pastor put me at the end <laughs> there by myself. Now, when it was all over, it made a little bit more sense. You know? 
put himself closer to the fire. I heard a story about a man that got lost in a big city, ended up in a neighborhood, turned around, didn't know where he was, and a little boy playing in the yard, sitting on the ground, and the businessman rolled his window down and said, little boy, he said, can you tell me where I am? He said, the little boy looked down the street, looked that way, he goes, you're right there. A lot of times in life, you don't know where you're going unless you know where you are right now. So I want to talk about a little bit about where you are right now. I had an encounter with God many years ago when I was pastor. And I thought I was, I was real proud of myself because I was praying, praying, praying. But the thing about my prayer was, now that I am past it, I can look back and see that the prayer was primarily a selfish prayer. It was, Lord, bless me. Bless this church, bless my ministry, bless my family, bless my church. And, you know, praying in tongues for about an hour. And I went to leave and the Lord spoke to me and said, I didn't, I didn't release you yet from this place. So I stood there and closed my eyes. And I, every now and then I'll have a mini vision. I'll have a little mini vision. Uh, you know, I don't claim to be anything. I don't care what people call me. Just don't call me late for dinner. But uh, I saw a hand, and the hand went like this. And I knew it was the hand of God. He, he did his arm, and his hand went like that. And this is what he said to me. He said, now I've blessed you so far, and I can't bless you any further. And I said, why? And he said, you know exactly why. Now, if you don't know me, you don't know how I was raised. You don't know the the conditions I was raised in. We were raised in a it just it was just a hell hole. It was just crazy. Crazy way to be raised, crazy life, just totally dysfunctional. But me and my brothers, we were super, super competitive and we fought. We fought all the time. My brother knocked me into the wall. He hit me so hard he knocked me into the sheetrock and I sat on a stud. It was kind of funny now, but it wasn't funny then. But we fought, we almost tore the house down. We'd fight over crazy stuff. We fought over chicken liver. Who got the chicken liver? I'm talking about fist fight. Tear the lamps and tear stuff down off the ceiling. Fist fighting over chicken liver. My mom got so mad one day, she went and bought a whole pile of chicken liver and put it on the stove, called us in there, chewed us out. Here's a whole plate of chicken liver. Quit fighting. She left. Four hours later, chicken liver is sitting right there. Hadn't touched a piece. She called us all back in. She went crazy. You tear the house down over one piece of chicken liver. I fix a whole plate, and you hadn't touched a piece. I raised my hand. She goes, what? I said, we don't like chicken liver. <laughs> what do you mean you don't like chicken liver? I said, we just like to fight. <laughs> we don't like chicken liver. We just like to fight. So I had this competitive spirit in me. Even when I pastored, I wanted our church to be the best. And I, and I had some bad feelings towards some ministers that, that mocked me publicly. They would mock me publicly. Now, when our church was small, you know, we had misery loves company. They were my friends. But when our church started growing, they got jealous. You want to know who your friends are? Just succeed in life. You'll find out who your friends really are. So 
so I had it out against one of these pastors because every time I went to a restaurant, he'd call me Benny Hinn and mock me about healing, divine healing. You're going to come over here and lay hands on me in front of my wife and children. I wanted to pop him in his face. I would lay awake at night and dream of hitting that guy. <laughs> come on, don't look at me so holy. I say, you're going to need healing after I get through with you. I promise you. So I, so I had, now when the Lord said that I blessed you this far, I can't bless you anymore. He was telling me, you've hit the ceiling on my blessing. I'm not going to put 100% on my blessing as long as you stay on that level. So, you know, we study these scriptures, Acts chapter 10. Here's a scripture. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, 35. Peter is going to the Gentiles. He's got the vision. And he realizes, of a truth I perceive, God shows no partiality. That means everybody has the same ability to be blessed by God. But look at the next scripture. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now that almost sounds like two contrasting scriptures. One says God shows no partiality. And the other says he only blesses those who fear him and work righteousness. And what is it teaching? It's teaching us that everybody has the same possibility of being blessed. In other words, nobody has an, an advantage over anybody. Because of your looks, your age, your gifting, your status, your nationality, your skin color. None of that matters to God. You are accepted by Him. But, but, the next scripture proves you may not be equally blessed. There are different levels of blessing. And that's what I've come to. There are different levels of blessing. Let me, let me give you some word on that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says we're being transformed into the same image. And I like the Amplified said from one degree of glory to another. From one degree, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Mark chapter 4 verse 20, Jesus talks about the sower sowing the word. And let me just give a, a plug for pastors here. Did you realize in that story of the sower sowing the word that after the sower sows the word, the Bible does not allocate any more responsibility to the sower? Did y'all notice that? People say all the time when they leave church, I'm just not getting fed. I ain't getting fed. I want to slap you upside your head. <laughs> Listen, a lot of people, <laughs> what did Jesus say? Some people's hearts, the condition of their heart will determine the yield of the seed. Some get 30, some get 60, some get 100 fold. Guess what? It's not God choosing that level for you. It's your heart. It's your heart that sets the level of blessing in your life. God does love everybody the same, but not everybody is equally blessed. And what, I've, what I came to early was to quit blaming God 
quit blaming people, quit blaming the devil, quit blaming the church, quit blaming my crazy mom and dad and how I was raised. Quit blaming anybody and just get before God and say to Him, what have I got to do to get to the next level? Listen, I cannot even count how many times this has happened in my life. Because, you know, I had no blueprint for marriage. So, you know, not long after we were married, Debbie and I got in an argument. And all of a sudden, she sat down and started crying. I was shocked. I thought, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? She sat down and just started bawling. She goes, I can't stand this. I said, what? She said, fighting like this. I said, we're not fighting yet. We're warming up to a fight. This is just prelim. Right? Nothing broken. Nobody's bleeding. We ain't fighting yet. So, so I had no clue, right? So I had no clue. None. So she'd do stuff that gets on my nerves. I'd go to God and I'd pray about her. Do something with her. Do something. Right? Make her be what I need her to be. And you know what? He wouldn't talk to me. He would never talk to me. He, would, he did say one thing one time. Leave her alone. She's my daughter. You're dealing with my daughter. Leave her alone. Now, funny thing is, when I'd say to the Lord... Would you speak to me about being a better husband? The heavens would open. Jesus would come down. He'd bring Moses and Elijah, Gabriel and Michael, and Peter was in there somewhere because he's always mouthing off. All of them would come. I'd have dreams and visions and revelations and all kind of stuff. Now, not only is there levels to growth, there is a timeline. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul said, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And what a lot of people in America don't understand is, there are Billions of people who do not have the light you're setting in right now. End of this year, I'll be in 32 nations so far. By the next eight months, I'll be in seven different nations in eight months. What happens when you travel like that? You get perspective. You realize the rest of the world is sitting in darkness. And here we are in America basking in light. That other people would die for. And we take it like it's nothing. And not understand that the, the, a spiritual principle is at work right now on the American church. And it's this principle, principle. To whom much is given, much will now be required. There's a lot of churches backing up from that, saying we don't want the responsibility. We want the anointing. We want the miracles. We want the blessing. We want the presence. We want the provision. But we don't want any of the responsibility. It don't work like that. 
It don't work like that. Come on now. There, there comes a time. Listen, you see a 21-year-old in a diaper, you know things have gone amok. 21-year-old come walking down to church with a big old diaper on. You'd say, boy, you got stuck somewhere. This is not a natural situation, right? It's not a natural situation. Well, in, in, in the church world, God has saturated America with great, listen, great preachers are a dime a dozen. Great preachers, great word, great revelation, more information than we've ever known. Things that people would die for, we take so easy and, and just rejoice and laugh about it, not knowing these things are like gold from heaven that God has showered on the American church. And now he's saying, I expect you to do something with it. I expect you, number one, to grow up. And number two, start helping somebody. It ain't all about me receiving something that's going to help me. She got it. When you get a perspective on your pain like that, you're, you're getting into kingdom territory. What I'm going through is not just about me. It's about who I'm going to help after it's over. And I come out shining like a dime. Because of his glory and his goodness. Can you say amen? But to whom much is given, much is required. And that's where we are. And a lot of people, that, I know it's not the most popular message in the world, but if we don't listen to it and we don't heed it, we're going to miss something right now because this is what I'm sensing. God wants to pour out miracles, signs, and wonders on the church right now. This year potentially can be the best year for the church that the church has had in decades. This is God's revenge on, on COVID. And what I'm seeing everywhere I go is people getting hungry for God again. People wanting something real again. I'm seeing young people who are hungry for Jesus. I'm seeing millennials who want something from God. Come on. Don't get mad at millennials. They just want something real. That's what I found about them. Yeah, you know, they, they want to drink their coffee and burn their... You know, oils, essential oils or whatever. Good, burn them, whatever. Now, they, they want to have a conversation. They don't want you to just sit down and shut up and listen to me. They just want a relationship. And they want something real. That's all it is. Can you say amen? Besides that, think about when you were a teenager and how you looked at grown-ups. It might help you have some grace. Can you say amen? So God is wanting something. Psalms 133, look at it. How pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The Lord had to break my competitive spirit. And I had to come into unity with other, other ministers. And I had to, to love and to bless other ministers and bless other churches. And we, I did a 180 in my heart. I let, I let all of that go. And when I heard about another church growing in town, I, was, I, I truly rejoiced where before I'd be kind of upset. You know, how come I, our church is good? I want you to bless our church. And then I, maybe I went to an extreme. I think maybe I did go to an extreme. I don't know. One time on a Sunday morning, we had a new couple show up. I'm, play, I'm praying for revival, praying my guts out for revival, and the church fills up with a bunch of weird people. Come on, that was funny. 
you missed your shot. That was funny. God was sending me revival, and I'm so in walk one Sunday morning, in walk this normal couple. Both of them had jobs and all their teeth. That's what I defined as normal. I defined as normal. They had both had jobs and all their teeth. And they had a couple of kids, you know. So I'm like, hey, you know, God sent us some people that don't have a tick and a jerk. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> come on, y'all. You know what he said to me? He said to me, until you love the people that no church wants, I won't send you the people that every church wants. So I changed my heart, and I started loving people a lot better. And uh, so anyway, this couple was there, and I thought, hey, this is great. And then, and they were happy. They, they seemed so happy. That Sunday night when I went home, I was praying, and I felt in my heart, something's not right. Something's not right. I don't know what it is. They came the next Sunday, happy, told me they loved my preaching. But inside, something didn't feel right. Did, couldn't put my finger on it. So I went to the Lord and I prayed and I said, Lord, what about these, this new couple? I said, we need, we need people like this. They're solid. They seem to me somewhat normal. They're tithers. They're givers. They got good kids. I need people like this. What, what's up with them? And he goes, they're not supposed to be in your church. I said, what, what, I, is there anybody else up there I can talk to? Because <laughs> I think everybody's supposed to be in my church. It's not even my church, but, you know, how we talk. And it's foolish to even talk that way. It's his church. He said, no. They're supposed to be over at this other. He said, they just hadn't found it yet. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get them there. So I had them come to lunch on Monday morning. They came to lunch. Sat down with them. I said, you know, y'all been coming to church two weeks now. And you seem to like everything. Yeah, we do. I said, but something's wrong. As soon as I said that, they both burst into tears. We know it. We don't know what it is because we love you. We love the church. We just don't know. I said, I, I think I know. I said, get in your car and follow me. I went around the block, went over to my pastor friend's house, knocked on his door. I said, this is so-and-so. And I said, uh, I think they're supposed to be in your church. He said, well, come on in. I left, and they stayed there for 25 years. Now, next Sunday night, the deacons had an emergency meeting. Because <laughs> this magnolia, like Minden, you can't pass gas at 10 that everybody don't know by 2. <laughs> I had an emergency meeting, called me on the carpet. What do you think you're doing? I said, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing a kingdom vision now. God said, if I build his kingdom, he'll build this church. A lot of people think if God will touch me, I'll go to another level. But a lot of times what has to happen is you go to another level and then God gives you new stuff. I used to think that God arbitrarily chose some people to be blessed and others to not be. Do you know that's not Bible? It's not Bible at all. You go back and look at the story where he gave five talents to one person, two talents to another person, and one talent. And the Bible says, according to their ability. Isn't that wild? Not according to his sovereign will. Not according to his sovereign plan. I get so tired of people talking about the sovereignty of God. 
There is a place for the sovereignty of God. Listen to me. There is going to be a rapture. You say, I don't believe it. Don't matter. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. Oh, I don't like that. I don't believe it. Guess what? Don't matter. Those Those things are in the hands of the sovereignty of God. He's going to do those things. You know why? He said he's going to do those things. And guess what? They're going to happen whether anybody believes it or not. So there are areas for the sovereignty of God. But in this age, in this age, we are in the age of grace. We are in the age of the church. And guess what? He has made your faith a determining factor in the plan of redemption. Your faith. Joel, we're preached on expecting. Your expectation will set a mark in your life for what God will do for you. And he is, and, and let me just give you a news brief right now. You are not waiting on him. I promise you, he's waiting on you. Here's what he says. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I got so mad at my cousin Scott. We were playing checkers one day. You know, Scott's a little scatterbrained and maybe not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So I'm playing checkers with Scott and I'm just looking at him. He's looking at me, looking down at the board, looking out the window. It went on for like five minutes. I finally said, would you move? He looked down and said, it ain't my move. I already moved. I can't get those five minutes back (laughs) sitting there like a bunch of goons looking at each other I was mad at him because why I thought it was his move and it wasn't he had already moved well guess what the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus is God already moving he made his move and then listen it was a great move changed the whole world Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. By His stripes I am healed. The devil was dethroned. Death was defeated. Jesus was raised from the dead. A conqueror. He's seated at the right hand. He made His move. Waiting on us. What church is going to have revival? What church wants it? Revival's messy. Church fills up with weird people. Then maybe you don't want revival. You just want cool, normal people like you think you are. And which we all know secretly, you're not. Not the cool part. You look cool, but I'm just talking about normal. Listen. Every person needs to locate where you are. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do that. And let me just tell you some good news. He doesn't do it in a condemning way. He's not a condemner. He doesn't ever put you down and make you feel worthless and make you feel like you can't. And if there's anything this morning that's telling you you're worthless, you don't count, and and you're no good, let me just tell you straight from heaven, that's not God speaking to you. 
That's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He will point out to you in reality where you are and where you need to be, but he will do it in such a loving way that you'll want to change. It's what I found out about most all of us, including myself. I, I don't like change. I don't like change. I like small towns. I like, I, like, I like being able to get anywhere in five minutes. Right? But this is what I find out about God. Here's what I know about God that I can tell you 100%. If you're going to walk closely with him, you will constantly be changing. He will not leave you alone. He will not leave you in one spot just to get stale and moldy and crusty and mean. He will keep working on you and your character. You know, it's just like the Bible says, uh, the, uh, the Lord spoke to a prophet and, and, the, and the Lord said to the prophet, go down to the silversmith and I'll show you what I do. And he had, uh, he, he looked at, he, was, he went to the silversmith and the silversmith had the silver in the fire and he's purifying the fire. Now, why did he say silversmith? Because silver is a very particular metal. You have to, when you, when you clean the impurities out of silver, there's a moment in time when you got to yank that silver out or you destroy it. And there's a precise moment. When, when is that moment? It's when the silversmith can see his own image in the silver. The moment he can see himself like a mirror in the silver, the silver has reached the perfect place to be pulled out of the fire. You know what God does with us? He will let us go through some stuff. That's not popular teaching, but he will let you go through some stuff that will refine you if you let it. I don't know about y'all, but I made, a, I made a decision. I had to make a decision a long time ago because my life got dumped on by the devil in a really bad way. Really bad way. And I had to make a decision at some point in my life. I am going to refuse to become a bitter person. I am going to become a better person. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm going to get better. And you know what? That's what the Lord will do with everything Satan has tried to do in your life to make you bitter. He will change it and make you better. Can you say amen? amen. Where are you at this morning? What level are you on? Let's stand up. I believe blessed are the brief. They shall be invited back. Amen. Can we just take some time right now? I don't know if Joe can come. Is it Joe? Can come and get on the keyboard and play. Listen, no point in looking around today because the Holy Spirit really is singling you out with yourself. I know that we're in.